So today, we're going to look at four things that Christ is risen means. What does this involve? And the first is that Christ is risen means that his physical body was literally raised from the dead. Literal, physical body, the embodied incarnate word of God was raised. Now this, like many things that we encounter in the scriptures, may not be a very popular idea in postmodern and modern circles where skepticism abounds. And I've been very open with you as friends, as sisters and brothers in Christ that I have uh, wrestled with different parts of my faith. And so I wanna speak openly about that and in the midst of it make a strong affirmation of what Resurrection Sunday means. Now, when I was in academic circles, there were a couple of people who loomed large, some theologians over the last couple of hundred years. One was named Bultmann, and another was named Tillich. And these two guys said that the resurrection was not an event of past history. It was not a resurrected body, but a spiritual presence that came into the minds of the disciples around Easter. How do we feel about that, church? That is called heresy. And so we want to call that out. But friends, this is, if you send your kids off to college, or if you do some reading or some listening to contemporary commentary about the resurrection of Jesus, this is often what you're going to hear. There was not a physical body of Christ that was raised from the dead, but it was a spirit that pervaded the minds and hearts of the disciples and the apostles and led them to go to do what they did in an inspired way. What a joke. I mean, these folks were martyred. And so if, as we saw in 1 Corinthians 15, and we'll look at this, a little bit more, if Christ was not physically and literally raised from the dead, what were they doing? Bultmann and Tillich got it wrong. And all those who believe against what the scriptures teach are getting it wrong. Now, on an Easter morning, and I talked my, with my wife about this because she is my conciliere in this, um, I am open about my struggle with doubt and swimming in the shark-infested water that I did for 12 years in academics as a college professor. And so I stand before you today as someone who has grappled with things like this in a real way, and I have battled doubt and skepticism and unbelief, and I've had to come to the place, did he really rise from the dead? And so, friends, there is room and space for all of us at All Saints because this is the environment we're in. And yes, we declare it with passion and we come and celebrate this every Sunday. Every Sunday is Easter Sunday. But if you are struggling with skepticism or doubt or you've heard some of what Bultmann and Tillich and others have put into the water, it's okay. Is there anywhere in scripture you can think of where one of the followers of Jesus said, ah, 
I'm not sure I can believe. Deconstruction, doubt, skepticism is not a new thing. It's not new. From the beginning, Thomas, what did Thomas say in the Gospel of John? I ain't believing until I see him and put my finger in his wounds. He was deconstructed. He was doubting. He was full of skepticism. And the risen Jesus met him in that space and restored him and restored his faith. So I want to be abundantly clear in the coming days, the coming years, that if you are working through some of these things and even saying the creed is a challenge for you, God can handle your doubt. God can handle your skepticism and your questions. As a matter of fact, that can strengthen your faith. Friends, the mercy of God, the grace of God melts us and turns us and renews us and refines our faith. And I am living testimony to that. I battle doubt and unbelief all the time. So I'm sorry to disappoint you that I don't have it all together, that I'm not a paragon of perfect faith because I'm not. I am wrestling and struggling and I find that's why Paul calls it a battle of faith, a race of faith, not an easy walk of faith. So we pray with what Jesus recorded in Mark 9, 24, the prayer that he received, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Someone said that to him, so I pray that regularly. Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Help me grow. I humble my limited mind and heart before you, and I believe. Your thoughts are higher than my thoughts. Your ways are higher. And the resurrection of Jesus in his physical body is part of what we believe and frankly, what we would be willing to die for. Amen, church? So, looking at the skeptical view, I want to look at the biblical view. And we read this from 1 Corinthians 15. And I encourage people here to grab a pew Bible, to bring your Bible so you can see it yourself and not just be dependent on slides up here. I want us to bring our Bibles and to wear them out during the week and to bring them, bring a good study Bible. But I'm going to read from 1 Corinthians 15, 3 to 9, and then 12 to 19 again so we can hear the biblical view in light of the current modern and postmodern view of the resurrection of Jesus. The Apostle Paul says this at verse 3, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3. For I handed on to you as of first importance what I in turn had received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers and sisters at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unfit to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. At verse 12, now, if Christ is proclaimed and raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? 
If there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our proclamation has been in vain, and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified of God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those who also have died in Christ have perished. If for this life only we have hoped in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. Friends, the Christian faith, as the Apostle Paul says, handed down by Christ through the apostles, preserved and preached for 2,000 years, is that Christ died for our sins, that he was buried, and that he was raised in his physical body in accordance with the Old Testament scriptures. He appeared to lots of people, didn't he? Paul is just giving a little synopsis here. He appeared to his disciples, to Mary Magdalene, other women, to more than 500 believers at one time, to the disciples on the road to Emmaus, and others. Church, Christ is risen, and he has rescued us from our sins and ourselves. Amen? A second thing that Christ is risen means is that our relationship with God is made right through him. Look at Romans 5, 6 to 11. Again, we're just looking at a few examples of what the resurrection entails for us. Romans 5, 6 to 11. We could do this for hours. Really, we could look at the implications of the resurrection of Jesus, but we're not gonna do it for hours. I know when I said that, some of you perked up. Are we gonna be here till two o'clock? Maybe one day we will, but not today. You can go and eat with families, friends. Romans 5, 6 to 11, Paul spells out beautifully what the crucifixion and resurrection means for us. Listen to what he says. Romans 5, 6 to 11. For while we were still weak, At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Indeed, rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, someone might actually dare to die. But God proves his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more surely then, now that we have been justified by his blood, will we be saved through him from the wrath of God? For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more surely, having been reconciled, will we be saved by his life? But more than that, we even boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. That is what I call New Testament filet right there. That is choice spiritual meat right there. Look at what the text says, verses six through seven, quickly here. While we were weak, we were stuck in our sin, unable to get right with God. Christ 
the incarnate word came and died for us. Look at verse eight. This very act of his coming, his death, his resurrection is living proof of God's extravagant love for us. The Father loves us. Sinners in desperate need of salvation and the Father says, I love you through the cross and resurrection of Jesus. Then look at verses nine through 10. Lots of verbs here, huh? Lots of things that Christ's death and resurrection accomplishes for us. His shed blood on the cross justifies us, saves us from the wrath of God, and reconciles us to God. Basically, we're in God's family. We shouldn't be. Friends, what do we deserve? We deserve death and judgment. That's an amen sneeze, isn't it? Yes, bring it, brother. We deserve those things. But instead, the Father, in his extravagant love, sends his Son, and through faith in him, we enter the family. Not children of wrath, but children of God. And then look at verse 10. We are saved by Christ's death and his life. And so we see in the New Testament over and over again, typically when Paul, the other apostolic writers, are talking about the cross, you have the empty tomb as well. It's always the cross and the resurrection. So friends, in view of this, we should be the most joyful people on the planet. This isn't in my notes, but one of the modern philosophers, a guy named Nietzsche, said, I'll tell you why the church is so pathetic is because they're the least joyful people. And I thought, what churches was he around? Those folks needed to wake up. Maybe Nietzsche saw the frozen chosen on a regular basis and he needed to see the joy of the resurrection in some of the local churches around him. Friend, this is, friends, joy is a foundation of who we are, of the gospel of the kingdom, of what we are as a church. One Eastern Orthodox Romanian Christian says this, and think about it, he's facing persecution over the last 80 years, but listen to what he says. The center of our worship is Easter. It is an explosion of joy. The same joy which the disciples felt when they saw the risen Savior. It is an explosion of cosmic joy. That is the whole cosmos, all of creation is exploding at the triumph of life in Christ after the overwhelming sorrow of death. So friends, we should be joyful. Maybe we have a joy check today. Maybe you look at your heart and think, man, I have been kicking the dirt a little bit, looking down at the ground. I need to remind myself of the joy that comes through the death and resurrection of Jesus. The Father loves me extravagantly. I belong to him. Yes, I have really bad days and weeks and months and years, but joy can reside and take root deep inside of me in the midst of all that. A third thing that Christ's resurrection means for us is that we are empowered to walk in victory over Satan, sin, 
sickness, and death. I tried to list a lot of stuff there. You could probably insert some more things. Friends, we are empowered to walk in victory. That's what this Sunday means. And we should lean into that during the week. We are to be victorious people, not defeated people. We are not victims. We're victors. And we celebrate that together. Look at 1 John 3 at the end of the New Testament, just before the book of Revelation. You can flip over there in your Bible. 1 John 3, 4 to 8. And here in a few minutes, we're going to celebrate the death and resurrection of Jesus through the Lord's Supper. So the Apostle John writes this, 1 John 3, 4 to 8. Everyone who commits sin is guilty of lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he, Christ, was revealed to take away sins. And in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him sins. And no one who sins has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Everyone who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. Everyone who commits sin is a child of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. Look at this last part here. The Son of God was revealed for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. And so we could comment on many aspects of these verses here, but the point of it is Christ came, he appeared to remove our sins and to destroy the works of the devil. When's the last time we thought of that? Christmas is a time of warfare celebrating that Christ came into enemy territory and he said, this belongs to me, the nations belong to me, the people belong to me, and I'm here to loot the enemy's camp. Friends, Resurrection Sunday means that we walk in victory. I can't help but make a little comment here when the Apostle John is talking about those who abide in Christ no longer sin, he means habitually. If you see someone who is habitually sinning and giving themselves into it, John is saying they need to do a a gut check. Are they truly in fellowship with Christ? Because Christ, through his death, through his blood, through the gift of the Holy Spirit, gives you victory to overcome that sin. Boy, I'm tempted to go down that bunny trail. Do we battle sin on a daily basis? You bet. Is anyone in this room perfect? No. Certainly not. But the key is, John is saying here, you got to be battling it. Christ came to bring victory. Now struggle. Don't give in to it. Amen? Paul elaborates on this. Look at Romans 6, 1 to 7. And this is a very rich baptismal text here. Romans 6, 1 to 7. I don't know about you, but I love this stuff. I love it. I love to read it, to get lost in it to see it with new eyes. Christ is risen, and it means so many things for us. It's the foundation of who we are and what we're about, what we're announcing to the world. Romans 6, 1 to 7. I love hearing those pages turn. Give you a moment. So Paul says this, what then are we to say? Should we continue in sin in order that grace may abound? By no means. How can we 
who died to sin go on living in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him by baptism into death so that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be destroyed and we might no longer be enslaved to sin. For whoever has died is freed from sin. This is good news. Saints, the resurrected Jesus can and does destroy the works of the devil. So I want you to think about it for a moment. Where in your life do you need Christ to enter and destroy the works of the devil? Where are those places that only the Lord sees, those little hidden places that Christ can enter with resurrection power and change your life? What addictions, what are you struggling with today? Put your trust in him afresh. Say, on this Easter Sunday, 2022, I'm going to open up those secret places. I'm going to open up those closets in my heart that no one else knows about. And I'm going to get on my knees this afternoon. And I'm going to get right with God through Jesus. Friends, that's what we're here for. Matter of fact, I want to encourage you right now. Let's take a moment. If that's you and you feel the spirit of God stirring your heart, I want to take a moment and let's close our eyes here. Let the Lord search your heart. He's been with us since we've gathered and he's here right now. Let him speak to you. Let the Father draw you in his love. What area could Christ enter today and destroy the works of darkness? Pray to him. Say, Jesus, I let you in to this place. Would you come and deliver me and set me free? And if you have not given your life to Jesus, it's a basic thing. You can pray right now. Jesus, I believe you're Lord. I believe that you died You were raised from the dead. I want to follow you the rest of my life. Serve in your church. Amen. If you prayed that prayer and you want to come and talk with me afterwards, I'm going to be up here. And I would love to hear from you and pray with you. Friends, there's no better time than right now to get right with God. Amen? Lastly here, before we come to...
the Lord's table and have the Lord's Supper, a fourth thing is that Christ's resurrection means that our resurrection and the renewal of all creation are guaranteed. Let's look at this, 1 Corinthians 15. We've been looking at that passage quite a bit. And if that is a passage that's maybe not familiar to you, 1 Corinthians 15 is a resurrection passage. It's one of those key touchstone texts. 1 Corinthians 15, 20 to 23. Paul says this, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. We heard this earlier, but let's hear it again. The first fruits of those who have died. For since death came through a human being, the resurrection of the dead has also come through a human being. For as all die in Adam, so all will be made alive in Christ. But each in his own order, Christ the first fruits then at his second coming, those who belong to Christ. I've got an image up here I want you to see because there are Christian artists throughout history that portray these things beautifully. You can see up here the risen Jesus and he's basically pulling up with his right hand, Adam, who is on our left from the grave and he's pulling Eve and it's symbolizing what Paul is talking about here. Human beings are on a course of death and Christ intervenes coming to destroy the works of the devil as the first fruits, the one who goes first is raising Adam and Eve from the dead. That's us intervening in humanity so that we don't just end in death, but we're raised to new life in Christ. Amen? A last text, and I'll let you just read this at home, but it's Romans 8, 11, and 18 through 23. The apostle Paul speaks of Christ being raised from the dead and giving life to our physical bodies. But then Paul turns and says, there are ramifications of Christ's resurrection for all of creation. All of creation is groaning to be liberated, to be delivered, to be transformed. And Christ's resurrection doesn't just mean transformation for human beings, but the whole cosmos, all of creation. So even environmentalism and ecology is found in the scriptures. The Lord loves nature and loves all of creation that he's made. And one day he will transfigure it so that it looks and functions the way that he intended from the beginning.